The Crux of the Matter, Episode 43, Refugees. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. How are you doing today, Scott? It's a great day, Todd. It's um, a great day. <laughs> yeah, it is. I know, yeah, we I'm missed a week. back. Right. Yeah, we missed a week, so, uh, so we had to... Uh, had to take a little little hiatus there. Sometimes the season gets the best of us, I guess. Well, that and and uh, for our listeners, I just been bouncing back from a head cold that seemed to just wipe me out. Yep. You know, you get these little viruses, and you think that you're going to be able to just tough through it, but it it did me in. I, I was dragging myself to class, but then I was sleeping every chance I got. Right. Right. Well, and uh, and this is a. Uh, what will we call it? An avocation? Yeah, <laughs> true. <A> hobby or <laughs> right. something like that. At some point, your actual vocations have to uh, take precedence over uh, over such things. But we're back, so that's all good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what have you been teaching of late, Scott? In between your napping, etc. Well, um, in my theology class, my doctrine class. Uh, we returned. We took a break from C.S. Lewis a while back. Mm-hmm. We did half of the book of Mere Christianity early in the semester, and then we did uh, several chapters or a number of chapters out of our main textbook, which is uh, it's called Called to Believe, and it's got um, it, it's just a basic doctrinal textbook. Mm-hmm. And then I returned. You know, once we started to talk about the Christian life, then I returned to Mere Christianity because he's got a chapter, book three on Christian behavior. Right. And right. and he's got a very, very helpful, I think, helpful chapter in there on sexuality and on marriage, on forgiveness, uh, some really good insights. And so, uh, I, you know, we returned to that. And, you know, we got lots, I got a lot of good discussion when we were talking about what is, you know, in his stuff on marriage and, and um, sex, you know, what is love and what's the difference between love and the feeling of being in love and right. And, uh, you know, these young people really, you know, we had some great discussion. I think they, I think they valued that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. I know I enjoyed going through that with our book club there a few months ago. Um, We, uh, we had our book club last week as well. And, uh, and, and we've been reading the Father Brown mysteries. Yeah. How are those going? Yeah. Oh, it's been lots of fun. We read the first really the first collection, which is called The Innocence of Father Brown. And you can buy the complete works of the Father Brown Mysteries on five for five bucks on on uh, on on Amazon, a, a paperback version of the whole thing. And uh, you can buy the whole set for on Kindle for, I don't know, a dollar maybe. And a lot of them are actually, I think, public domain. They're free. But uh, what was interesting to me about the conversation was – uh, we ended up having this talk discussing the kind of the the religious or quasi religious approach of Father Brown to the very humanist approach of Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. because you know Holmes and Arthur Conan Doyle's writing Holmes about twenty years before Father Brown maybe, and and they overlapped for for a while, so they are very much. Um, and I'm very much in the same genre. That's for sure. They're short stories. They're mysteries. They're you know they're detective stories essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it was very interesting. Just kind of discussing how how is it that 
Father Brown's approach is much more, I would say, an insight into human nature and as compared to Sherlock Holmes' approach, which is, which is much closer to uh, looking at the kind of the scientific evidence, the physical evidence. So that was fun and, uh, and, and talking about kind of how he viewed evil and, the con- and, and especially the concept of re- redemption in Father Brown. I mean that as a priest – it, it, I mean, this isn't a hundred percent consistent in the in his stuff, at least that I've read so far. But it seems like he um, he's more interested in being a pastor to the criminals oh. <laughs> than he is in trying to you know get to the bottom of the crime. It's it, I don't know. It's a, it's it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed that very much. I, I have not read much Chesterton at all, and have not read any of the mysteries. Oh, the you got to read them, man. Mysteries. Bring those, bring those along this week when you're, uh, when you've got a little time off because they are so fun. And they're, you know, they're all like 10 pages a piece or something, 15 pages a piece. So you can just read a couple and get into it pretty easy. I, I just, I just looked them up on Amazon and you're right. You can get the complete uh, collection for 99 cents. Yeah. That seems like a decent investment. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so that was, that was really a lot of fun. And I don't know. It, uh, I can't, I was trying to think. Are, of any kind of modern writing or media, you know, any any characters in television or any place where you have a a religious person, you know, a priest or pastor or nun or whatever that is the protagonist that is either neutral or good. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing, well, there are some of these detective, some of these British detective stories um, will involve. Um, a, a cleric of some kind. Do you right. know the um, oh, I, Brother Cadfile mysteries? Oh yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah those are on. Uh, yeah, those are. There's a there's a BBC version right. of that too that's on Netflix. So right, right. So yeah, so there's some there's some out there, but uh, mm-hmm. but it's in, it's interesting, and uh, and and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that very much. So that's kind of yeah, what I've cool. been what I've been teaching for a while here. Good. But we have a uh, we have a topic that we probably ought to tackle for this uh, for this time. I've been I've been musing on it for a while, as I'm sure that you have, and that is the topic of refugees. Uh, this has obviously been in the news quite a lot. Uh, the the massive influx of of uh, primarily Syrian refugees, although I I think that we can. We can tackle the the concept of refugees or immigrants uh, mm-hmm. more broadly. We sort of, kind of talked about that a little bit. When did we when did we talk about our uh, our uh, friend Pastor Gottfried Martins and, and talked about the the Persian or Iranians? That was a couple months ago. I'm going to guess. Yeah, I think that was just because he'd been in the news, right? It's, you know, with um, with the many converts that his church has, has brought in, right? Right. So. So so now we're getting all of these Syrian refugees that are kind of coming from all over the place. And this is – and uh, not only coming to the United States and kind of the debate around that, but also what countries are accepting these refugees, mm. uh, right. what states are accepting these refugees. Uh, and and that's, a, that's kind of an interesting question or topic as well. But – 
But really, for me at least, what has really kind of caught my interest in this is the is the remarkable divide that there is among Christians in dealing with this topic. Uh, very often on these on uh, on political topics, you can kind of you can kind of predict how it's going to go, but that has not been the case in this in this refugee, at least not in my perception. Is that kind of how you've seen it, Scott? Or what are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? I mean, I've just been watching the Facebook conversation, the wars, uh, quote unquote, yeah, conversation. Right, right, and you know, it's been Christians and Lutherans who are equally doctrinally sound right have taken different approaches on on and 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 sometimes quite quite firm approaches you know really you know this way or no way kind of right. kind of a thing and that's been interesting to me because it, it hasn't been it hasn't quite fallen at least in our circle I don't think it's quite fallen along the line of liberal conservative confessional progressive whatever right um, it you know there's some very strong feelings um, about you know should we be doing this and you know letting refugees in and if we do um, are we actually uh, endangering ourselves endangering mm-hmm. our families and the morality of that right. Right. So, gosh, I don't even know quite where to start with this whole thing. I guess you've got the government's responsibility. You've got the church's corporate responsibility. And you've got the individual Christian's responsibility or vocation. So at least at least three, yeah. if not more than three, different vocations and that's kind of been in my in my observing and thinking about this that's that that's been a part of the part of the piece that I think is missing in the conversation is that the presumption is that all of those different vocations have to be consistent in how they mm-hmm. approach this that they all have right. to be exactly the same um and so you're going to have what I would consider uh, pulling, uh, saying that the government as a government has an obligation to, uh, to accept refugees because Jesus says so, basically. Um, I don't know. It's, that's hard for right. me. That's hard for me to buy the biblical argument that that is the government's responsibility. And I guess that that's how I would phrase that. Whether it's a good idea for government to do is almost a separate question. But to say that that the Bible commands it, I maybe I, I don't I well, don't know. My take on it. Way. My take on it right now, at, at this moment, and and it's been pretty consistent. Has been that I think the church, I think the church's role is to advocate for the refugee. Right. I think that is, you know, not not at, uh, you know, not disregarding the safety of our children. Right. Um, but I think that the church has a responsibility to advocate for the poor, for the refugee. You know, um, I, I don't necessarily think that means um, the government's primary responsibility is to the refugee. I would almost argue the other way that the government's primary responsibility is to protect the citizenry. Right. 
That's the first. And so those two vocations might appear to be in conflict. And I don't know what to do about that. Right. Well, and uh, that may not be an appearance. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> they may right, be right. in conflict. Right. I think that's right. entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the government's responsibility, again, thinking in, thinking in kind of biblical terms, and I do want to circle this back to kind of the pastoral care questions. Sure. But, right. but I think we need to, I think we need to at least think through this a little bit. The, the government's responsibility is to uh, punish wrongdoers and to commend the good. Mm-hmm. I mean, the government is a, is a left-hand kingdom law organization, that it is not the, it, the government's responsibility as a government is not, is not mercy. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I, I no, think that, the, again, you're looking at kind of biblically speaking, the government, New Testament, as government, we're talking, we're not talking about the nation state church of Israel here. Mm-hmm. The government right. as government, uh, their responsibility is very left thinking to commend the good, to punish evildoers or wrongdoers. And, um, and insofar as, uh, as that under that vocation, certainly you can imagine, and of course in our country's history, it would be <laughs> this is an immigrant country. I mean, it would be pretty, pretty ironic for us to say we're not going to accept refugees from uh, religious or political oppression. I mean, that would be <laughs> that would be pretty. I mean, to say we categorically reject right. this right. Um, would be would be pretty absurd for us, in my mind. Um, but how does the so how does the church as church uh, approach this? I I can't. I, I agree with your your basic thing is that the the church's role is to is to advocate for the. Uh, for the for the refugee, for the stranger, for those in need, um, something along those lines. It's hard to hard to avoid thinking in those terms. Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, that's that's almost straight straight biblical hospitality language, right there. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we can escape it. I, I think that you know, there's plenty of both Old and New Testament injunctions to receive the stranger and right. to receive the, the foreigner in our midst. Right. Um, but so on the one hand, I would say, I think the church's role is to advocate for the good of the refugees, but it is arguable whether bringing them to the U S is the best thing for them. Right. Right. That is not a, that's not a foregone conclusion at all. That's true. Right. true. I mean, I've, I've read some, I've read some commentary that has suggested that, you know, it, it's, it, you know, there are much better ways that, w- that America could be supporting them if we could get, you know, some other countries in line to help us out in, in, right. in, gr- in greater capacity. Uh, we could by sending money, for instance, and I and I don't want to make the you know it's it's easy to send money off to chari- foreign charities, right? But it is possible that the money would go a lot further if if these refugees were to stay in Jordan or Lebanon or um, as they are, some many of them are, right? Um, and maybe our maybe our dollars would be of better use that way. That, right. I mean, spending I think that's a, a huge right. expense of transporting them and of getting them set up here, and right. you know, never mind language challenges and all all of these other things. That is an extremely 
expensive proposal, both from the perspective of the government and from the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. no question. And it might be better for them if if they were if we were able to relocate help relocate them uh, to Arab countries. Frankly, right? Uh, as most of them are Arabs, and most of them are, are Arabic speaking, I assume. Yep. And uh, are Muslim, uh, you know, in terms of their well being, in terms of, but I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to be suggesting that that maybe Amer- like you said, I, I don't think it's necessarily something America wants to get into the habit of doing is, is just closing the door entirely. You know, I, that doesn't feel quite right either. It seems like we are a nation that has, has a history and a, and a, I think a noble history of welcoming to strangers. And they have, for the most part, refugees have come in and integrated and, and, um, and it's made America whatever it is. Right, right, right. Good, bad, and ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the congregation, you know, mm-hmm. here I am in Northern California. You're in Southern Cal. Um, and so the the local congregation has uh, a place corporately. I mean, I think of in our community of how do how do we care for the marginalized, let's say, which may mean the stranger, uh, may mean the foreigner or refugee. Uh, that can that can mean ethnicities. That can uh, that can mean that can be economic. That I mean that can be lots and lots of different things. If we're you know if we're supporting a a, a domestic abuse shelter, uh, if we're I mean there are so many different ways that the congregation as congregation uh, does this and and. Maybe I'm being naive here, but I don't think that the church's primary purpose is its own is is its own sort of internal security. Right. That that's not that that's not what makes us tick. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not that's not how we think about this. Um, nor do I, as an individual pastor, think in those think primarily in those terms. Now, you know, at the same time, I'm sitting here in a building with that has probably 75 kids in it. Right. And you can be sure that the doors are locked and that there are very specific security measures that are in place, uh, both because they're required by law and also because they're just the right thing to do. (laughs) And and so it's not a um, it's not an absolute Right. Uh, you always welcome in every capacity and in every possible way, I guess. Um, so what does that hospitality to strangers look like in a way that is both go- that is going to vocationally protect the people that that you have first responsibility toward? But also recognize that, uh, you know, thinking of the Hebrews verse that uh, showing hospitality to strangers means that you may be showing hospitality to angels without knowing it. You know, yeah. 13 too. So. Right, right. I, you know, there, there's something very risky in what the Good Samaritan does. Yes. I mean, this Good Samaritan, I mean, how many of us, honestly, if you saw a man battered by the side of the road, would I mean I, you would think well there could be thieves still here you know the the bandits right. could still be here it's not safe this could you know, be I'll a call nine one one right yeah. exactly 
I'll call 911, but I'm going to stay on the other side of the road and pass by. I'm not going to stop and pull over. And, um, you know, but there's something really risky in the Good Samaritan takes his own safety. Um, I don't want to say lightly, but it, it's not his foremost concern. Now, would the Good Samaritan have behaved differently if his family with you know, his six kids would have been with him? Right. Um, you know, maybe. But, uh, but you know, we, we are, you know, that is a fundamental part of the Christian ethic is this story of, of finding the stranger, even the enemy. Right. And, um, right. And, and, and simply putting ourselves out for them, putting ourselves out, you know, I mean, the good Samaritan take, didn't take the guy to his own home. He took him to an inn, but he, but he paid for it and he, you know, he funded it. And, um, so I think that we can't become so security conscious that we forget that Christian ethics does require a bit of risk and faith. And, and we may get slapped. We may get taken advantage of, um, you know, it's always a balance, right? I mean, Jesus said, be innocent as doves, but but be wise and crafty like serpents. And so we have to, we have to be crafty and wise and, and shrewd about how we manage our resources and, and, and the risks that we will take, but then we can't be so jaded and so cynical that we don't, um, that we just assume the worst of everybody. Right. Right. Well, I can remember, this seems like this is an issue for me more in Wisconsin than here, but you know, you will from time to time have people come to the church that have some, you know, a, a story. They have mm-hmm. some, some need and, you know, it may be something simple like need gas for the car to get back to Arkansas or wherever they're coming from. Um, it may be, uh, it may be a more complex story. It may be, you know, they've got children and they, and they need help with caring for their children. I mean, they're all of all of these stories come about, and I think that I could I could say with almost a hundred percent frequency that when you bring a situation like that up in the congregation and ask for help, that you are always going to get someone that says, "I remember when we helped so and so, and then we found out that they sold everything that we had given to them and bought drugs." Yeah. <laughs> or right. something right. to that effect. So the, the presumption is, therefore, we shouldn't even bother because uh-huh. it's, you know, this is just going to be, we might as well be throwing away our money. Um, I kind of think that that's okay. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm really perfectly comfortable with occasionally getting screwed by being merciful. That's you know that's all right you're not doing it in order to uh in order to get something or in order to sort of have this nice measured return on investment i mean that's just not uh, you know that's 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 um that's that's compassion is how do you showing compassion means you're not thinking about the consequences you're simply doing it mm-hmm. right and you know i mean you're doing it in good faith you're trusting right that the person is telling you the truth, which is usually the case in most human interactions. But um, you're going to be – I've been taken advantage of. I've been swindled. And and it has made me more cautious, uh, you know, and I might be a little little less hasty. But, you know, there have also been times where someone on the street has asked me for a buck and instead 
I bought them a hamburger or something. I have done sure. that. And, sure. and, and so there are ways to try to get around, you know, we don't always just have to hand cash to people, um, in order to be charitable, but, um, you know, somehow I don't, I, I would feel, I would feel very sad if the church became so concerned about security that we, that our mercy, uh, suffered in, in the doing. Yeah, I agree. I'm, if I were to, if I had to, if I had to think about it in terms of a pendulum, I would rather, I would rather that the pendulum be more on the mercy side than on the security uh-huh. side. Yeah, now, I think so too. I think maybe ultimately I would feel differently if it were my own children that were endangered in the process. Um, and that's, uh, that, that probably would, would color my opinion. No, no doubt about it. But that's uh, somehow or another, uh, our, remembering our primary, our vocation as the church is to bring Christ and the mercy of Christ to a lost and dying world. I mean, that's why we're here. That's what it means to be a church. That what it, that's what it means to be a Christian even, and that we do trust that our Heavenly Father is going to take care of us. That doesn't mean being foolish, but that does mean not having to overthink what my mm-hmm. own uh, my own well-being Along the way. Right. And I, you know, same here. And I, and I think, you know, I think the security risk, there probably is some, uh, it, you know, does appear that these Paris attackers were, may have, you know, one or two of them may have entered the, entered the country or come in through this flow of, of, of refugees. But I was reading statistics earlier today about the refugees and, you know, there's of these millions of displaced people, over half of them, over 50% of them are children. You know, these are, these are mostly families. These are mostly people that are just trying to stay alive. And uh, it, it just, it, to shut the door, uh, like you said earlier, categorically, you know, to just simply, uh, there might be better ways to, to protect them than by bringing them across the ocean to the United States. But, right. Um, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe we should be welcoming them into our homes and our communities and our neighborhoods. Um, and I wonder how many, you know, how, how would the gospel be perceived by people when they're being turned away from Saudi Arabia, but welcomed into the presumed Christian West? All right. That's a good question. It's a good question. Well, I know we haven't come up with a lot of, uh, brilliant answers no. here, but, um, no. this is a conversation that it is worth having in our congregations because it can allow us to ask these questions of, all right, so what does it actually mean to be a Christian, to be a, a, to be a Christian congregation in this community? And, and kind of thinking in those terms is going to be, is going to be important. No, no doubt about it. So, so lots to think about along the way. Yeah. And it's likely that there will be, at least in our state, California, that there will be refugees. Oh yeah. And, and what if if there's the opportunity? What can we do? Can we can we offer English a second language? Can we you know they probably need blankets and food and I mean there's what are some material ways that we can actually be involved? Whether you know whether we think they should be allowed on mass into the U.S. or not? Once they are here, we absolutely have the obligation right. to reach out to them as neighbors. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, that uh, that makes sense. So that'll uh, – I, I think that's at least worth an initial conversation. Uh, if you have yep. any thoughts on this 
or uh, or an alternative view for for how the church and and her pastors ought to approach this, uh, I would encourage you to find us. Uh, you can find find this episode at the crux of the matter net slash podcast slash forty three. And uh, you can also email us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net or find us on Facebook or on Twitter along the way, uh, any of those ways. And uh, we would sure love to hear from you. Also appreciate all of those who uh, who have uh, donated to our tip jar. Um, we're we're still kind of uh, uh, working through a few expenses along the way here. Probably costs, I don't know, I'm going to guess three four hundred dollars a year maybe to uh to do this in terms of equipment and and a rental fee or you know space and storage and all that kind of stuff so it's not it's not massive but we'd appreciate whatever help you're able to give us and uh we can uh, move on from there so scott uh what's bringing you joy today pray tell well, since um, since I'm on break, we're on Thanksgiving break here at Concordia <laughs> Irvine. I um, I have been doing some reading that is not directly related to work, and it's been a while since I've been able to do that. And I've been reading some fiction, but that's not what I'm going to mention. I've also been reading this very fascinating nonfiction book um, called Occult America. Hmm. And and the uh, yeah the subtitle is White House Seances Ouija Circles Masons and the Secret History of Our Nation by Mitch Horowitz, <laughs> right? Nice. I know I, you're gonna love it. I mean, but it's fascinating because you know yesterday I was reading all about you know Mary Baker Eddy and and you know the New Thought and Mind Science movement and and uh, Theosophy in the early 20th right. century, late 19th century. And, uh, you know, the day before I was reading about the history of the Ouija board and spiritualism in, in the U.S. and, you know, the, the Fox sisters up in New York and yep, yep. the wrappings and seances. I mean, you know, it's a fascinating to me. It's a fascinating part of American American cultural history uh, to see our our culture's fascination with and and, um, you know, our utilization of of uh, of the occult or our, our, you know, dabbling in the occult as a culture. Hmm. So if you're at all interested in kind of this aspect of, of religious life, I think you'd find it very fascinating. It's not, it's not a, you know, sort of a pulpy book. I think it's a well-researched text, okay. uh, but it's easy to, it's easy to read. And, um, um, you know, it's got some very good, very good attestations. And I, I think it's a good book it, nice. and I'm enjoying it immensely. Yeah. Occult America by Mitch uh-huh. Horowitz. Yeah. All right. right. Well, that's it. That's a good. It sounds almost like work reading, Scott. I'm just going to say. I mean, it's close. That that line between work reading and play reading is uh, is uh, sometimes blurred along the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, my uh, my pick for this week is uh, is a little uh, a little app that I have been making use of. Uh, this is a, a a Macintosh app, although they may have a Windows version of it. They're, I'm sure that there is something like this for Windows. I just don't know what it is. Um, the name of the app is Rescue Time. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, heard of this app, Scott? Not at all. Yeah, Rescue Time. Uh, basically, what it does is it is it's an app that just runs runs in the background and tracks all of the activity that you do while you're on your computer. You know, everything from uh, what websites you go to to, uh, you know, mess- messaging, anything that you do, it it tracks. And then it 
it, it categorizes these things into uh, – really, you can make whatever categories you want. You could say uh, business or work-related, re- work social, social-related, play. You know, you can make these whatever categories you want and then at the end of each day, you can look and see how much time you spent mm-hmm. on each different thing. Um, and it's very interesting um, because it uh, – one of my sort of ongoing squirrel-like attractions is that I am uh, I am somewhat addicted to social networking. That is probably no surprise to anyone. And, uh, and so I wanted to have a way of saying, OK, how much time did I actually spend on Facebook or Twitter or instant messaging or whatever in any given – in any given day? And how do I, uh, and then how do I start to curtail that if it is if it is a not reasonable amount of time? So that's what I'm using it for. It's called rescue time, uh, and and so I can also see, for example, how much time I actually spend on writing. You know, in in these in these apps or in researching using accordance for Bible study or whatever. Um, and uh, and it's very very interesting, you know. Not oh. not everything that I do, of course, is in front of a computer. In fact, a lot of what I do is not in front of a computer. But but I'm uh, experimenting with this just as a way of kind of being intentional about how I spend my time. Rescue time is the name of it. I, I'm almost afraid to try something like that. Yeah. Afraid of what I'll learn. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, freak it's, me out too much. Yeah, it's um. It is interesting to see and I haven't been using it long enough to kind of get get in the mind of any real trends. Part of what I'm interested in in the long run is is looking at, OK, do I spend more time social on social networking stuff at the beginning of the week or at the end of the week, you know, oh, in the morning or in sure. the afternoon? Um, maybe it maybe it makes sense to say block all of these apps or websites from 7 a.m. until noon each day because that's my primary kind of thinking, studying, writing time and and I don't need the distraction then. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm uh, It's kind of the beginning of an experiment for me and I'm, uh, I'm enjoying uh, – I'm, I'm kind of – I like metrics. I like, I like looking at these things. Maybe that's because I'm a legalist by nature. I just <laughs> like measuring things. I'm not sure. Well, but, um, I, I want to hear how it, how it turns out for you before I try it. Yeah, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see we'll see how it goes, but uh, but uh, it's 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 been fun. It's been very interesting along the way. So that's what my uh, that's what my pick is. You have anything else for our dear listeners, my friend? No, no. Thanks for listening and uh, help us out with the tip jar if you can. Yeah, awesome. And with that, we will see you guys next time. Goodbye. <laughs>